Welcome to the Without a Hitch podcast, episode two, What's in a Name? Today we're talking about a group of people all called John, the pursuit of a democratic process to name a pet, and a little bit about the background to the name Without a Hitch. I chose Without a Hitch for my blog and this podcast because some of my initially some of my earlier stories were about hitchhiking that's how I started writing but also the phrase itself felt like a ride joke because in reality nothing really goes off without a hitch everything's a mishmash of things that go well or partly well or kind of disastrously so and as far as I see it there are precious few perfect tens and that's what I like to tell stories about the mistakes when things don't go as planned and the most interesting stuff happens I think when things go completely the opposite to as planned, when very ironic things happen and we can look at them and laugh at them and learn from them. In retrospect, probably for SEO purposes, it might have been better to choose a different name. Um, when you search without a hitch, generally you end up with wedding planning companies, so kind of, I've essentially named my website after a cheesy recurring wedding gag. And when I first introduced the name to my friends, it caused some confusion because in the URL, in the site address, in the domain name, I put hyphens, so it went without a hitch, not all one word, but separated by hyphens. So the conversation with someone, this is a conversation with a colleague of mine, Regan, would go something like this. She'd say, hey, what's, oh, you've got a new blog, what's the name? I'd say, well, it's without hyphen a hyphen hitch. And then Regan would say, oh, what, what do you mean? Is there a hyphen or isn't there a hyphen? I'd say, well, without hyphen a hyphen. And what do you mean that? Is there a hyphen or isn't there? So it would go backwards and forwards. People would get very confused. And ultimately, I went in and took all the hyphens out because it's one of those things that written is fine, but you can't really understand when spoken out loud. Um, otherwise, the site might have had to be called without a hyphen. So this first story, uh, in part, is about my dad. As a kid, I always thought it was really funny growing up that my dad was in the sharing gang and all of his friends in the sharing gang were called John. They all had to go by their initials because obviously you can't just call out John because no one knows who's who. Um, and I mean, that was really funny to me, but in reality, it's a very common name over the last hundred years in the US. It's the top, it's in the top, it's number the number three name and it's been right up there in New Zealand, particularly in the 50s when dad was born. So not such a big surprise that John's a popular name, but endlessly entertaining to me as a kid. And the story is a little bit about, uh, it's called The Johns, it's about a troop of guys all called, all called John, including my dad, and me very much not a John, kind of trying to make a main name for myself with The Johns, but not quite in the way that I would have hoped. The Johns. John is an enduring name. Data from the New Zealand Department of Internal Affairs places John as the top boy's name for 1954 and 1955. In 1956 and 1957, John came in second place, pipped at the post by Peter. It was number three in 1958 and 1959, with Peter in slot one and David in slot two. US Social Security data puts John as the third most popular boy's name over the last 100 years. My dad was born in 1956, and his parents named him John. He was the second oldest of four children, Donna, David, Donald, and John. His parents had a real D theme going on, but apparently they were powerless to resist the popularity of John. 
So irresistible was the name John, the dad went on to name his own son, my brother, John. When I was growing up, I learned that nearly every one of dad's friends or acquaintances were called John. I found it hard to keep track of all the Johns, so I would remember them by what I understood as their primary occupation. There was Pottery John, Kayak John, Avocado John, and Orchard John. Sometimes I wasn't sure what they did with their time, so there was also Lives in the Valley John. In my child mind, this made them sound a lot like collectibles. Pottery John eventually became a real estate agent, but I still refer to him as Pottery John. I would wonder, growing up, how do you make a name for yourself if you're all called the same thing? Dad and the Johns had a very pragmatic answer to this question, one that they didn't articulate but demonstrated. They just got down to doing one thing very well until children like me put a label in front of their name to say what kind of John they were. Since nearly everyone in Dad's sharing gang was called John, they all went by their initials. One guy in the gang went by Jim, but he had actually been born a John, so he was JS. When I was younger, Dad, John, that's my brother, and I would visit JD and JH a lot. When I was older, at university, Dad lived in Tauranga and spent a lot of time with JW, Avocado John. On university holidays, I'd visit Tauranga and sometimes we'd park Dad's house bus at JW's for a while to help him with fencing, landscaping or tending the avocados. JW is a pretty casual guy. He loves his dogs and lets them come and go as they choose. He doesn't bother himself too much with housework. Personally, I'm okay with untidiness to a point. But once I see piles of dust, tumbleweeds, bunting against the skirting boards, I'm really going to need to get the vacuum out. I cannot, however, look past any cleaning job that deals with smell. I have an enhanced sense of smell. My friend Terry has theorised that this is because I have a capacious schnoz, a suggestion which I initially laughed down but now suspect may be accurate. Nothing hits me harder than a dirty fridge. I can detect food expiring mere seconds past the moment it's at its best. But also, this is where you keep your food, the stuff you put in your mouth. It just seems to me that this should be appropriately clean. Not crazy clean, I'm not talking about sterilising every surface as though aiming for medical grade cleanliness perhaps for storing organs, just not gross. Visible cleanliness, some separation of the food groups. Shelves which don't suck at the item you're trying to pick up because they're sticky underneath. JW's fridge, even by lax standards of fridge hygiene, was a horror. Packets containing food groups eluding classification were packed so tight they would leak into each other. The internal surfaces of the fridge were not white or clear, but brown with patches of black. Old meat fested, cheeses dried and fell apart or melted into slush. Milk brewed itself into yogurt. Yogurt grew new organisms beyond the expected. Vegetables expired and broke down into their constituent elements, in a vain effort perhaps to build an ecosystem for the new vegetables piled on top. Because there was so much in the fridge, it was hard to tell what I might find at the back of the shelves. It was less a fridge than a biological event. I didn't want to make JW feel bad by asking about it. We were guests in his house after all. But I also didn't want to eat anything from that fridge. 
One day, Dad and JW went out on an errand, and I decided to surprise JW by dealing to this abomination. I rolled up my sleeves and started to take everything out of the fridge, but had to stop almost immediately to clean the kitchen first, since dishes and old cooking were stacked so densely on the bench there was no space for the fridge contents. Cleaning the kitchen was almost as epic an undertaking as the fridge. Eventually I started to empty out the fridge contents, categorising the food into different biohazard groups. 1. Not fresh, but seems okay. Maybe keep. 2. A touch whiffy. 3. Hold your breath and run this outside. 4. What the fuck is this? Go get some gloves and donate to science. Once the food was out, I attacked the shelves and the internal walls of the fridge. The muck was particularly resistant to cleaning. It clung to the fridge, the only home it had known. I had to muscle my way back to the original surfaces with a brush. Some of the patches of black would leave pale yellow stains once they finally relinquished the mould. I had to concede that for now this was as good as I was going to get it. It took me two days. This took the edge off the surprise a little bit since when JW and Dad returned on the first day there was food everywhere in a half dismantled fridge. JW smiled and seemed chuffed that I was taking such an interest in his fridge, but also looked around a little furtively, probably trying to identify what delicious treats were now missing. I think he might have thought I was wasting perfectly good nosh. I don't know what became of the fridge when we left, but I can say with confidence that, aside from the moment it was first purchased, that was probably the cleanest that fridge had ever been, or ever would be again. I ate the food from it, a little more at ease. JW couldn't really believe I'd gone to that effort for him and his fridge. For the rest of the week we were there, he kept coming back to it. You really pulled out all the stops with that fridge, JW would say. Yes, JW, I would think to myself, I certainly did pull a lot out of it. The legend of the grand fridge clean has persisted for years. Dad will catch up with JW and they'll inevitably mention the fridge. When Dad and I are talking over the phone, he'll ask, Remember the fridge? I wonder if, when Dad catches up with the other Johns, all the Johns connected to Dad know each other, it's a John network, he retells the story of what I did for JW's fridge. I guess it's nice to be remembered for doing a good cleaning job, but I had hoped to be known for something a little more momentous. Is this how the Johns will remember me? But I probably shouldn't worry about making a name with the Johns. After all, I'm not a John. As many have told me, chortling, because it's apparently a variant of my name. I'm a dick. Now, I've never been one for pets, but over time my family has worn me down, and I'm coming around, I'm, I'm warming to the animals sharing my living space. We now have a dog, a cat, and nine chickens, and we're about to acquire another cat. So when I say they wore me down, I mean utterly to the point that I'm now powerless to stop our house and property becoming this grand menagerie. Whenever it comes time to name a pet, we have this quite regimented democratic process where we throw down any, any and all ideas, nothing left out, we vote on our favourites, then the ones that got multiple votes go into the next round, then we go another one or two rounds until we whittle it down to one or a few names that everyone likes. There's a little political jostling going on, a little bit of lobbying, 
as people try to convince each other to choose their preferred name, particularly for my son towards his younger sister, but by and large it's, it's pretty fair. This last round we had some great names and of course we couldn't keep them all. The upcoming list is a taster of some of the ones we left behind. Pet names that were in the running, but which we eventually decided against. Note, this is not a list of relationship pet names, e.g. cherry pie. That would be an entirely different kind of list, referring to actual domesticated animals here. These are from a huge list of names for both our cat and dog, which was full of any and all suggestions from everyone in the family. The actual pet names we went with, Teddy, Retrodoodle, yes, it's a real breed, Wanda, a black oriental short hair, and Mango, an orange oriental short hair. The names. Phoenix, a great name for a kitten that the whole family liked, mythical vibes, Harry Potter vibes, a pretty epic association for a pet, a creature that can die and literally rise from its own ashes. But a friend of my son's friend was also called Phoenix, and it seemed a little awkward to assign a name to a pet already in use by an acquaintance. Boplik. A random word that my daughter came up with as a kitten name idea that made us all laugh and seemed so weird and novel that we thought it perfect. Someone we knew did a Google search for it, however, and informed us that, a, that the word is already in use in the world of porn. Laser. Nico and I were all for either a dog or a cat called Laser, a zippy, zappy creature straight out of a sci-fi or superhero graphic novel. Vic wasn't sure about calling out the name across the neighbourhood when summoning said pet for dinner, though. Mando Mando. What better way to start than establish a pet name that already have its, has its own theme song? A catchy, infectious one that we have heard in our household again and again and again. King Doggy. I mean, we just couldn't imagine ourselves calling this out across the park with a straight face. You also need to think about how a polysyllabic name might get abbreviated. Ear Hang Down. Yes, Ear Hang Down. This was our daughter's favourite and she lobbied for it pretty hard because, quote, he has floppy ears. Momo. Cute because it's Japanese for peach, but sinister because it's also the character at the centre of some internet horror myth manufactured to scare the living daylights out of children. Wolf Beast. Look, as a fan of Game of Thrones, I liked this suggestion from Nico, but ultimately it was vetoed. The kind of name you might print ironically on the outside of your fence to put meter readers and posties at ease. Don't worry, Wolf Beast doesn't bite. Well, that's us for today. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Appreciate your support. Until next time. Okay, bye.